Why we're doing that is because as we enter a season here in 2021, uh, we want to learn again and afresh just to depend upon God for everything. And so we're in a series called Dependent where we're moving through several psalms that teach us to depend upon God. And at the same time doing this study with discovering the reality of God in our lives, knowing that God's always at work around us and we want to learn how to join him in that. We want to learn how to discover God each day in our hearts and our lives and learn how to obey him. And so I want to encourage you, get into that study. We're looking forward to that. So far in our series, uh, let me catch you up or just remind you of where we've been. Uh, We've talked in week one that we're dependent upon God for revival, that God is the only one that can revive our hearts. And revival just means an awakening. It means going from kind of being spiritually asleep or spiritually slumbered to having a passion and, and a fresh renewing of God in your life and his presence. So we talked week one about revival. Last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about depending upon God and his word. And so if you missed any of those messages, you want to go back and watch them again, you can find them online at our YouTube uh, page or our website. This morning, though, we want to talk about depending upon God and his presence in our lives. So if you've got a Bible, let's go to Psalm 139. And so open up a Bible, maybe turn your Bible on. Those of you at home, open up that Bible where you are, you know, click the app on your phone, follow along with us uh, as we move through this Psalm together. Psalm 139, talking about depending upon God's presence in our lives, you know, thinking about how he interacts with us on a daily basis and how we can learn to recognize his presence. Because here's the thing, when you learn who God is, then you'll learn who you are and you'll learn how to depend on him. You know, so when you learn who God is then you'll learn who you are and how to depend on him. So through Psalm 139, I'm going to give you four truths you're going to see about God. So if you're one that takes notes, now be a time, grab out a pen, little uh, pad, you can scratch it on, write down on your phone uh, these truths as well. Those of you at home, get ready to, to write these down. So truth number one you're going to see out of this passage is God knows everything about me, that God knows everything about me. Let's pick up in verse one. This is a Psalm of David. We, we don't know why David wrote this Psalm, uh, but we see that he recognized God's presence in his life. God knows everything about me. That's our first truth. Verse one says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and know me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain it. Notice in verse 1 that David says, Lord, you know me. You know everything about me. You know, you can take verses 1 through 6 and just summarize it this way. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows everything about you. That that word know is going to encapsulate all your thoughts, all your actions, all your words, everything you do. 
God knows you. And that word know there is, a, is an important word throughout the whole psalm because you're going to see it used seven different times in various ways. And so what we're seeing is the all-knowing, all-encompassing knowledge that God has about our lives, that he knows us better than we know ourselves. I mean, look in verse 3. He says, you search out my path. And my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways. That You can simply say, listen, God, you know all my daily activities. You know everything I watch. You know everything I look at. You know everything I think. You know everything that I do. You know everything about what I'm doing. Look in verse 4. He says he knows everything that I'm about to say. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So think about it this way. Before you say it, before you text it, before you tweet it, before you post it, God knows it. I mean, God knows everything you're about to do, everything you're about to say. But notice his presence in your life. Verse 5, you hem me in. You could, you, your translation or another translation can say, you encircle me behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. God, you're always there. You have encircled me. You've hemmed me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. You know all my activities. You know all my words and all my social media posts before I ever put it. You know everything about me. You know me better than I know myself. How does that make you feel? You know, because some could argue, verse 5, and you could step back from this text and argue and say, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on. Th this is... This is a little too much, right? I mean, th this doesn't seem very, very free, and this seems pretty suppressive. You know, th this kind of reminds me a little bit of George Orwell, 1984, right? This is a little big brother here. I, I, I mean, this, this doesn't seem uh, fair. Why, why would God want to know all that? I, I feel restricted. I, I feel suppressed. I feel confined. I mean, one can make that argument. Maybe you're thinking that this morning. You're thinking, man, I, I don't know about this. Right? You, you might be thinking about that at home right now. You're paying attention here and might be, you know, washing dishes at the same time and thinking, well, wait a minute. God's, God's you know, washing me wash dishes while I'm trying to worship. I don't know. I don't know how to, what, what am I to think about this? God knows everything about me. Is that, is that good? Is that okay? Don't you notice what David said? Watch David's response to the same question you might just have. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, David says. Notice that response, too wonderful. God, you're, you're too wonderful for me. Because think about it this way. What has God done with all the knowledge he has about, about you? What has he done for you? And God has all that knowledge about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. What has he done with all that knowledge? What has he done with all the knowledge of all the good you've done in your life? What has he done with the knowledge of all the bad you've done in your life? What has he done with all that knowledge he has of you? Can I tell you what he's done? If we put that verse within the, the grand picture of salvation history, here's what he's done. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward you. That while you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus died on the cross for you. 
That's what God's done with all the knowledge he has in your life. That God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, in this world to die for you. See, God knows all your good and all your bad. And God says, with all that knowledge I have of you, here's how much I love you. I'm sending Jesus to die for you, to take all that sin upon himself on the cross. Take all those worries, take all those anxieties, take all those problems upon himself to take everything you deserve for all the bad you've ever done, and I'm going to put it on my son Jesus because I have that intimate knowledge of you, and I want to know you better. I want to love you and be with you for all of eternity. So I made a way to do that. That's what God's done for you, and that's freeing to know that. That's awesome to know that. When we stop and think that we can depend upon God because he knows everything about you. Notice the second truth here within the text is God is always present with me. God is always present with me. Pick up in verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be about me night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is light with you. Notice that, that David's saying here, God, you are always with me. He asked the rhetorical question in verse 7, where shall I go to get away from you? God, where can I go to, to flee your presence? Verse 8, he says, there's nowhere I can go. I can go to heaven and you're there. I can go to Sheol and you're there. The word Sheol there is going to mean the grave, the pit, the place of the dead. So think about it this way. God, I can go up and you're there. God, I can go down, you're there. Lord, everywhere I go, you are going to be. But notice verse 10, and I love verse 10. He says, everywhere I go, even there, if I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, down even into the depths, verse 10, he says, wherever I go, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Your hand's going to lead me. You're going to hold me, God, because you're always there. Yeah, you know, I don't know if um, this happened to you when you were learning to ride a bike, uh, I'm going to probably think it did because I think this is the universal way that parents teach their kids to ride a bike. But, you know, you, you start off with the training wheels. You got training wheels off, and it was time to learn to balance and pedal. And so, you know, your parent got you out there in the, the street, and there you are, and you're on your bike. And you look back at mom or dad, and you say, you're not going to let go, right? They say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to the seat as you pedal. I'm going to hold on. And you get on, and y'all start walking together, and you're pedaling, and you're, you're a little wobbly, but, but they're holding. They're balancing you. And all of a sudden, you're starting to get it. You're starting to get that balance. You're starting to pedal. You're starting to pedal. You're starting to pedal. You're picking up speed. You're starting to enjoy the freedom of riding this bike. Wind's starting to blow in your hair, right? You're starting to think and, and, and just think, man, I, I got a new life here. I go wherever I want to go. I mean, you're enjoying this bike ride. Things are going swimmingly well until what happened? You look back. And you look back and mom or dad's a blur in your rearview mirror. They're no longer holding you. They stopped about 50 yards back. And all of a sudden, you start wobbling on that bike. You start wobbling and down you go. And there you are, bikes on the ground, 
you're starting to scrape off all the asphalt out of your hands and off your knees, and you get a little skinned up, and tears start running down your eyes, and your mom and dad run up to you, and you looked at them, and you probably said this, didn't you? I know people online probably said the same thing. Why did you let me go? Anybody? Right? Why'd you let me go? And your parent probably looked at you and said, I let you go because you were doing well. You were doing fine on your own. You were pedaling along. I didn't need to hold you. Listen, no matter how well you are pedaling in life, God doesn't let you go. No matter how well you think things are going, he doesn't let you go. He doesn't let you go when things are going well. He doesn't let you go when things are going bad. Romans 8, 28 says there is nothing that separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. David's saying in verse 10, he has you in his hand and he's not letting you go. That's good news, amen? Because 2020, man, that was a tough, tough year. I mean, 2020, Moya, everything has affected us in different ways in our lives like we probably never would have thought. 2020, we had to do things as a church we never had to do before. But what did God do? What did God do in your life? What did God do in the life of our church? He didn't let us go. And he's seeing us through it. And he's holding us. And he's leading us. And he's leading us right now in 2021 so we can depend on his presence because God is always present in our lives. Let me give you the third truth. God is our wonderful creator. God knows you better than you know yourself. God's always present with you, but God is your wonderful creator. Verses 13 through 18, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made secret in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. Verses 13 through 18 shows you that God is a wonderful creator, that he is our wonderful creator. Think about it this way. You can look in verses 13 through 15 and say it this way, that God cared about your beginning. Verses 16 through 18 shows you that God cares about your future. God cared about your beginning, verses 13 through 15. God cares about your future, verses 16 through 18. He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in verse 13. You have formed my inward parts. Notice verse 15, he says you're intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That phrase, intricately woven, is the same Hebrew word embroidered. You find that word uh, in the same word used to describe the needlework in the tabernacle. What the psalmist is showing you, David, he's saying, look at all the intricate work of God in putting you together and making you as his creator. Verses 13 through 18 really reveal some incredible truths, I think, about God and creation. And let me give them to you quickly. Four of them that you see within this section of the psalm is first we see, like I said, God is a wonderful creator. You can look around the room. Uh, you can look at all the Facebook photos of all your friends, and you can see God's handiwork in creation. 
you can see God's creativity in creation. That all of us created differently. We all look different, but we all bear the image of God. So we can look at one another and say, man, God, you're a wonderful creator. You're a creative creator. But secondly, notice this, that David would teach you in this section that God gives you every breath you're going to breathe. Because he is your creator, God gives you every breath you're going to breathe. Every time your lungs fill up and every time you inhale, exhale, every time your heart beats, that's because God is making that happen in your life as your creator. I think this section would also affirm that no person is an accident. No person's an accident. God's your wonderful creator. And, and as I was putting that together this morning uh, and thinking through that part, I, I, don't, I don't know who needed to hear that. I don't know who online needs to hear that this morning, who in person. But you're not an accident. Your parents may not have planned for you, but God planned you. Your parents may not have thought they were going to have you, but God knew you even before you knew yourself. Every person's wonderfully and fearfully made. That includes people with special needs, mental health challenges, disabilities. There are no accidents when it comes to God. Every person bears the image of God. Amen? But let me give this fourth truth. If every person is created by God, that means every person matters. And every person has a purpose. Every person matters, and every person has a purpose. See, I would think verses 13 through 18 shows you that God is a pro-life God. And when we talk about being pro-life as followers of Jesus Christ, that's way more than voting for a certain political party. That's way more than voting against abortion laws. That's way more than voting for a certain political platform. Yes, that includes that. But being pro-life is way more than that. Being a pro-life Christian means you care about people from womb to tomb. Being a pro-life Christian means you are serving children, serving those with special needs, disabilities, mental health challenges. Being pro-life means you are loving others, treating people with kindness, caring for the sick and the poor. It means supporting adoption, adopting, supporting fostering parents, fostering. It means simply this, we do all we can to get the gospel to every person because every person is created by God. Every person bears the image of God. Every person matters and deserves to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what being pro-life means. And with this Sunday is what we call Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It comes on this uh, calendar date every year, just a, a time we reflect on what it means to be pro-life. And so I'm going to call you this morning, be a pro-life Christian. I'm going to call all of you at home, be pro-life. God is pro-life. And what that means is we care from people from womb to tomb. We do all we can to get the gospel out to all people. Depend on God in your life because he's your wonderful creator. But finally, let me give you this fourth truth that you see about God. Depend on God because he executes his perfect justice. Verse 19, David says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This morning, God is a God who executes his perfect justice. The final part of this psalm takes an unusual turn, doesn't it? I mean, all of a sudden, David now is describing those who oppose God. Look at who are people who oppose God. Verse 19, they are men of blood. They are murderers, verse 19 says. Verse 20, they are enemies who speak malicious words. They are evil with their words, verse 20 says. Verse 21, they hate the Lord. And David's saying, because they are your enemies, God, they are my enemies. And David is praying and asking God to do his perfect justice in their life. He's saying, God, get rid of evil. Lord, execute your perfect justice. But notice this, and don't lose sight of what David's saying, because you and I need to be very, very careful here. David's saying it this way. God, you execute your perfect justice. God, you take care of evil. David's asking God to do what God only does, to execute perfect justice, you know, because the Bible would affirm it this way, that, that God's a fair God. God's a good God. God's a just God. God's not going to let sin and evil go unpunished. There is coming a day when Christ comes back that all evil is gone. All evil will be, uh, you know, uh, gotten rid of. And because of that, God is holy. And since he is holy, he has to deal with sin. He just doesn't sweep it under the rug and, and say, oh, we're not going to worry about that. Because of his holiness, God executes his perfect justice. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, I would think we need to do what David does. Because David here in the Psalms not looking down his nose at anyone. He's not saying, God, you give them what they deserve. Because you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to never look at someone and say, God, give them what they deserve. Or God, I'm glad they got what they deserved. You know why? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we didn't get what we deserve. You know what Lee Peoples deserves? Because of my sin in my life, I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. I deserve punishment. I deserve an eternity separated from God. That's what you deserve. Romans 6.23 is really clear. For the wages of sin is death. You and I earn spiritual death. We earn judgment. We earn hell because of our sin. That's what we deserve. But the rest of that verse says, but the free gift of eternal life is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus on the cross got something he didn't deserve. He got your sin. He got my sin. He got our sin placed upon himself. On the cross, Jesus took God's wrath on your behalf. Jesus took, him, uh, Jesus took your sin upon himself there. And God judged Jesus instead of you at that moment. He, didn't, he took what he didn't deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin for us. Galatians 3.13, He became a curse for us. What did we get in return? We got His righteousness. We got His forgiveness. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that's what you get. You get something you don't deserve. 
You get an eternity with God. You get a relationship with God now. You get forgiveness now and for all of eternity. None of us deserve that. So when we come to this type of a text and we come to these verses and we're praying for God to execute his justice, we're not looking down our nose at someone else. We're not saying, God, give them what they deserve or God, I'm glad they got what they deserve because we have to be the very first people in this world that say we got what we did not deserve and that was Jesus. So what's going on here? There's got to be tension in your heart in this text as there's tension in mine. Maybe there's a little confusion rumbling around in your mind because you're automatically thinking, well, hang on, wait a minute. If I flip over into the Gospels, Jesus says, pray for my enemies. Jesus says, love my enemies. Jesus says, you know, forgive those who, who hurt me. Forgive those who persecute me. What's happening here? David's praying for God to do his perfect justice, and Jesus in the New Testament's telling us to love everybody. What in the world's going on? If you're thinking about that right now in this worship center, if you're thinking about that online, amen. Those are good thoughts to have. Those are good questions to ask. Let me try to get us out of the weeds here and, and bring a little bit of clarity. Number one, first, we ought to pray for God to execute his perfect justice. That's a fair prayer to pray. We live in a world filled with evil. And just like the Bible says, we can pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Execute your perfect justice. Rid our world of evil. We can pray that. But secondly, we pray for the salvation of all people in the same heartbeat. We ought to pray just as God desires all people to be saved. God, we have that same desire. We want to them to escape that wrath. We want them to escape that judgment. And so, Father, we're praying for your justice to be done. But, Father, we're praying for the salvation of all people. But finally, do this. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. As you're praying for God's perfect justice to be done, as you're praying for the salvation of all people, pray for yourself. That's where David ends this song. Verse 23, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. See if there be any sinful way in me. See if there be any wicked way in me, your translation may say, and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Just have a prayer time between you and God. Just bow your heads right where you are. Whether you're here in the worship center, you're at home, at home, pray with us right where you are. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's do what David just instructed us to do. Asking God to search us, to know our hearts, to know our thoughts, to know our actions. This morning as you're praying, let me encourage you that the sin you find in yourself ought to upset you more than the sin you find in someone else. And so pray today. Invite God to examine your mind, your attitudes, your actions. And as God may be revealing a sin in your life, I want you to depend upon God for the forgiveness of your sin. Revival comes in your life, not when we point out the sin in others, but when we deal with our own sin. So confess it. 1 John 1.9 says when we confess our sin, and that word confess there means when we agree with God that it's sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It might be a, an evil thought you've had towards someone. It might be a malicious word you spoke to somebody. 
might have been something you've done, looked at, that you shouldn't have looked at. Go to God with that. He's a God of forgiveness when we confess. Maybe this morning is for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As I said earlier, what you deserve is hell. What you deserve is separation from God, but God can give you something you don't deserve, and that's forgiveness, and that's heaven. That's found in faith in Christ. Today, call out to the Lord to save you. Whether you're here in this worship center, whether you're at home, pray that prayer that's on your heart. Lord Jesus, I'm ready to follow you, have my sin forgiven, and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You call out to God in your own way, in your own prayer, right where you are. Jesus, be my Savior today. This morning, depend upon God as you pray to supply you of everything you need. Maybe there's a need in your life right now, physical healing, financial help, job searching, whatever it is, go to the Lord with that. Say, Lord, you know my thoughts and my actions. You know this, this need right now. It's a burden in my life. It's hurting me. It's worrying me. It's causing stress and anxiety. And Lord, I'm giving that to you and I'm going to depend on you to meet my need. Lord, you're a God who's always with me. You're always there. Lord, meet this need. I'm going to ask you finally to pray for us as a church. Let's join together in praying right now as we enter 2021 that our prayer is not to return to an idealized sense of normal that we once had, but let's ask God for a, a fresh work of the Holy Spirit in our church. A direction we may need to go, we've never gone, but we can depend upon God in the things we need to do as a church. Lord, you've heard these prayers. And Father, I pray this morning that we depend upon you for our forgiveness, for you to meet our needs, for us as a church. Lord, we affirm what Psalm 139 has taught us today, that you know us well. You are always present with us. You are our wonderful creator, and God, you are the one who executes perfect justice in this world. And so, Lord, this morning, we depend upon you for everything. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm in